People have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. You're longer, colleague. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up, Ben Shalom? Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg. With me, of course, Rob Benhoff. What up, brother? Shalom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How's it going, man? It's going well. I'm in a Yeshua shirts mood today. Yes. Yeshua shirts. Starting conversations. I'm trying to make sure that all everything uh, looks right on... On everyone's end here. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, I'm still getting... There we go. Okay. There we go. Okay. Well, hey, what up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. We only got a couple of people in there right now, and that's okay. I'm going to put it in the book right now. I don't think we have enough to talk about for an hour. So I'm going to guess we go for 52 minutes. You want to take bets on this? You think we're going 22 minutes? 52. I think oh, 52. 52 minutes is what I'm going to call right. out. All right. That's what I got right now. I could be totally wrong. So what's going on, man? We got Rob has so much happening. It's unbelievable. I mean, you're right. Okay. Now let's go down the list here. You're writing an article for the next alumni quarterly. Check. Uh, you're getting ready to go to Israel for two weeks where you will be presenting in front of the world's leading Masoretic scholars. Check. Getting ready for two sessions at Torah Resource Institute Family Camp. Check, check. And you're getting ready for uh, the two lectures, not just one, two lectures, one on the uh, Mazora of the Hebrew Bible and one on the Book of Galatians at the Society of Biblical Literature 2017 in Boston. Are you a little... What? <laughs> what? Are you a little... Actually, old? there's three. I think I'm doing three sessions at camp. Oh, the Nelsons say they, they, they're calling 53 minutes. All right, chat room's in on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds it. Did you say you're doing yeah. three sessions at camp? I think, I think we're each doing three sessions. Good, good. So, so it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's exciting. I, it, it's, uh, I don't know, I don't have words for it. Well, I hope you're not overloaded, man. For those who don't know, this happens every year at the SBL. What we'll do is we'll get into the hotel room, and Rob will be freaking out all the way. Like throwing uh, stuff at people. No. <laughs> all the way up until <laughs> right when he presents. Then he relaxes a little bit, and then afterwards he's done. The problem is, is that this year he's got two lectures, so he's going to be freaking out the whole time. Didn't who was it? Was it Doctor Petri who said uh, he did two? And he's like, I'm never doing that again. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> you know, I I want to, you know, just like anything, we we grow when we when we uh, put ourselves in the arena, right? You know, you get you you get out there, whatever field it is, it's we grow when we're um, doing our best, and then and then you're putting it forward in in a situation you're going to get the best feedback. Right. And that's, and then you grow from that. And that's, what's exciting for me the most is like, um, you know, ever since I took, I took the, I, I never really got into Masora until I took your dad's okay, wait, wait, uh, hey, hey, hang on. Oh. Tim Higgs intro no, to Masora class. I took this class with you. This was a great class. It was fun, but let's tell people because you know what I'm starting to realize is that we are getting more listeners, and Baruch Hashem for that. Praise the Lord for that. We're, we're very happy to have new listeners. Whether or not you're Messianic, Hebrew Roots, Christian, Roman Catholic, it doesn't matter. We, we're, we're happy to have anybody listen to this show and put their input in. So, uh, But we have to remember that a lot of the time, and actually we got a great email about this. Should we do this? Should we just launch into this? Because Okay, never mind. Let's explain. Sure, well, just on the point of the Masora. Is well, it, well, this wait, is wait, an wait, example of growth. Wait, wait, wait. Explain what the Masora is. 
That's what, okay. that's where I was going with that. Oh, the Masora. So the Masora, it's there's not really the Masora. It's but it's basically an accumulated uh, body of knowledge of scribal knowledge of Jewish scribal knowledge. In other words, Jewish in that it's pertaining to the transmit the preservation and the transmission of the text of the Tanakh, right? Of the Old Testament or of the Hebrew Bible, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's a it's a uh, a cultural there's a cultural continuity of scribal practice and preservation of knowledge up through you know into the Middle Ages that is a different trajectory than that of the rabbis of the Talmud right it's like a different type of quote oral tradition or whatever that slowly gets crystallized in writing. Okay. And so, but, but hang when, on. Hey, so hey, all hey. our Bibles today, anybody who opens a Bible today and reads a translation of the Old Testament or of the Hebrew Bible, Tanakh, uh, the translators owe the debt to the work of these scribes. Well, not only that, but, 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 the, but the Masoretes or the, scri- the scribes who are writing down the, the biblical text, they have also uh, written notes and uh, uh, they've counted letters and all sorts of stuff. They write all these little notes in and it's actually, it's like, it's like your kids texting today. It's all kind of in code. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't, exactly. Well you, put. It's you in shorthand. It's yeah, in, you, if, yeah. Instead of writing Y-O-U, they just write you, you know, and you're supposed yeah, to know exactly. these things. That sort of thing. Yeah. And, and the scribes do the same thing. You know, they'll, they'll instead of like writing out like, this thing, this word happens this many times. They'll put like a single letter, and that you, you're supposed to know that's a count of this many. So, so right. on and so exactly. forth. So it's a whole yep. study unto itself. That's the point. Keep exactly. Going. Keep and, going. And as I've learned that, I took the excellent class that uh, Tim Haig put together, a, a book that he compiled from a lot of teachers that had gone before him. Which you can take at Torah Resource Institute yes, this exactly. coming fall. Yes. Keep going. But you do have to have Hebrew uh, yeah. to to take that class. Uh, but anyway, um, it's, I just dove into that world and it's, it's really, really, uh, wonderful because it's, uh, there, these are medieval Jewish scribes that, you know, one of their, their greatest value is to how do we preserve, how do we do this right? And, uh, we all benefit from their labors and, and learning to read their notes and understand their notes of how they thought about things and how they, uh, now it's, it's not theological. So it's, they're not interpreting, uh, the scriptures for you or telling you, this is what you need to do. That's the, that's the rabbinic world. The, the scribal world's not that way, at least at this time, uh, in, you know, early medieval period. Um, what they're doing, it's just, they're giving, like Caleb just said, they're giving statistics. This, how many, you know, like I just came across one the other day where it's, uh, you know, because often it's the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, right? Well, there's a couple places, there's a couple verses in the Torah where Aaron is listed before Moses. And it and so it, they just note that. They're saying, here's a handful of places where the names are switched, right? It doesn't tell you why or anything. It just is a catalog of statistics of of minutia or or trivia or you know it's not trivia but, i mean it's it's minutia about okay. the text because they don't want it changed they but want a, a, it to reinforce as you talk though what i think of is this is like bible nerd level 10 like if you're a scholar <laughs> yeah, 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 if, exactly. if you're a scholar and you start studying like the the mazora like there's like the guys who are in heavy into like you know, Acadian or something. And that that's, you know, that's pretty Bible scholar nerd level eight. And nerd is not a bad word in the scholarly level. In fact, it, you know, in the scholarly world, in fact, it's a good, like, that's the good thing, right? If you hit level 10, you're we into the Missouri. We need the nerds. Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody benefits. I don't know if I, 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 I'm an aspiring nerd, I guess I would say. <laughs> I want to be a nerd <laughs> in this regard. Anyway. So, uh, so yeah, so anyways, I'm doing a thing at Hebrew University uh, pertaining to an aspect of the the Masora, uh, dealing with the earliest uh, manuscripts we have of the Masoretic notes on the scriptures, and then also doing another one at, at SBL in November in Boston, Lord willing. So 
Can I change? I think I, now that yeah, we, yeah. it's it's like it's like that put, uh, that put us. Uh, once I, think I the once I, are right, we're we're now over fifty. We're going to be over fifty. Once minutes, I, just, it's like a challenge for you. Once I give a time, it's like we're going to beat this by a half an hour. All right. Uh, so let's see here. Um, I want to go first of all. I should tell you several things. Let's bring them up on the screen for those watching online. The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Go to TorahResource.com and find all sorts of great free resources, but you can also find stuff that are paid for, like, and this is important, listen up, chat room, you can also find things like new Robin Caleb Show merchandise in the merchandise section of our store. That's right. Now, we're going to, uh, Rob and I are going to do some really fun stuff with our merchandise. We're going to have uh, uh, certain offerings that only happen during certain times. And uh, if you collect, like maybe we'll do four a year or three years, something like that, and they will only be offered for about a week. And if you collect all three of them, then you will get something even better. Like you'll get the option to get the secret shirt that no one has or so, something like this. We're not sure how it's going to work yet, but we're going to have a lot of fun with it. That's that's for sure. We'll see who really is the, uh, you know, collect all 36 shirts and, and you get, uh, you know, well, I don't know. We'll come visit you or something. I don't know. I don't. Anyway, uh, give us a call. Uh, you can call us at uh, our radio hotline, 253-465-3205. Speaking of the radio, I should say we uh, be in prayer for us. We're debating whether or not the radio station should go away or not. That might be a shock to some people who listen to it. But uh, money and hours compared to uh, purpose and goal of what the radio station is doing is being considered right now. So, yeah. Anyway, once again, 253-465-3205. And, of course, do not forget to send us emails. You can do that by sending your email to chag. That's my email address, chag at torahresource.com. Okay, with all that said. Now, Mark, our good friend Mark, uh, my good friend Mark, I, uh, I know Mark. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting Mark several times um, in Pennsylvania at the IMC, the Independent Messianic uh, Conference. Mark sent us a, a note, and this is a great note. Uh, actually, he, what he did was he called the comment line, and he, he left a five-minute-long uh, uh, phone message. It was, so it was really, and he does that from time to time. It was really nice to hear his voice and, and to hear his opinion. Um, I then sent him an a, a email, and he wrote kind of the same. He clarified what he was saying in an email. So I was going to play his audio, but I decided it would probably be uh, better just to read his note here. He says... The one guy who's and he's talking about show 180. For those who don't know, this is uh, this is talking about uh, the the gentleman who suggested. He asked, "What would be your response to those who uh, give the criticism that you are overly scholarly and academic?" And yes, of course, my response was, "Thank you." as you all know. Okay, so uh, Mark writes in and he says, the one guy who said that the show was excessively scholarly probably appreciated the scholarly angle that the show takes, but was just a bit concerned that at times you might be above your audience due to being excessively scholarly. You seem to boast on being scholarly by saying thank you, but your response didn't really acknowledge his primary thrust of being excessively scholarly. His criticism didn't seem to be the scholarly part as much as the excessive part. To me, your response required a bit more nuancing so that you'd, you'd show a sensitivity to the possibility of being overly scholarly in you and Rob's desire to bring responsible Bible study to the table. Being scholarly is a relative term to the general, generally uh, unacquainted, and you too have the challenge of feeling out your audience to know what is appropriate, and you often do a good job of defining terms for those who may not know. So I commend you on your sensitivity to this, but also encourage you to have the goal of every email you receive to respond in such a way as much as it lies in your own power to be at peace with all men and the end of the di and the end at the end of the dialogue that is uh, go out of your way to be excessively loving and sensitive to all who write to you and yet speaking the truth in love may Hashem give you uh, wisdom and patience thank you very much for the email mark okay so this is actually a, a very good uh, point that's made and you know I think this happens a lot I was talking to somebody the other day I had to by the way if you anyone whoever goes out and drives for uber uh, you have to get your car uh, 
uh, like inspected, that waiting center at Uber is 10 times worse than the DMV. Just bring a book. I'm, I'm letting you know. Anyway, so I was talking to somebody about this down there because somebody from my uh, from uh, the shul that I go to was was actually there as well. And we were talking about how people forget, like myself, this person is, I, I don't know if I'd say, I would say new word to the movement, but um, people like myself who've been in this movement for 29 years. And when I say movement, I mean uh, Torah pursuant or the Torah movement that is believers in Messiah Yeshua who are attempting to keep Torah. I've been in this movement for 29 years. And so often I forget that people might not know words that I take for granted now, like Torah or words like, uh, you know, halakha or words like Mazora or things like this, these kind of concepts that to me have been, you know, I've grown up with these things. They're just, they're, they're commonplace. And so a lot of the time, I think that when people are coming into the Hebrew roots, Messianic or Torah movement, the people who have been there for a long time, they want to explain the things that they think are, are difficult, you know, maybe like Mazora or whatnot, but forget about some of the more, uh, uh, commonly used phrases like Torah, like Halakha, like, um, you know, these kind of words. And so, and it's not just words, it's theologies, it's concept. And in that, I think Mark definitely has a good point. Uh, we need to be con and not just Rob and me on for the show. And this goes for us specifically right now, but also I think believers in general, whether it's in the Christian church or, or, uh, in the Torah movement or whatever, when we're talking to people who are new to uh, to a relationship, a covenant relationship with the Messiah, or new to the concepts within the Bible, who maybe were raised in a in a non-believing home or, or something like this, we need to remember that uh, it's it's better to explain, to over-explain, and to uh, to make sure that people truly understand what we're talking about. And this is really one of the problems that we have on this show is that you know a lot of the time we expect. You know, the people in the chat room, they've been with us, some of them, for four years, right? So they've heard a lot of these conversations. A lot of it's us reiterating things that we've already talked about and whatnot. But I think even just in day-to-day -day life, we have to remember that we, we need to be sensitive to, uh, to the idea of being overly scholarly. Now, my point last week was not – Mark's point is well taken. But my point in saying thank you was more to say – I think one of the things that the that the Christian church has done, maybe not intentionally and not across the board, is they've attempted to dumb down the academic side of the Bible for, for the people sitting in the pews. And I understand this, right? You have a mom and a dad and 2.5 kids with a picket fence that, you know, dad works all day long. Mom is at home with the kids. They might have devotions once or twice a week. Uh, you know, and then they come to church on Sunday and they don't, you know, they're not well-versed in no, a lot of... Right. And then, so the book, that, there's a book there, a, a genre of book that has no footnotes and it just tells you the way it is. Exactly. Without giving any hint of, well, there's a dispute here or there's a dispute about this or there's another possible reading. Because what you're doing there, you're instead of, I think the idea is instead of just injecting somebody with this is the way it is. You're injecting them in with a little bit of uh, this is a sophisticated or there's many sides to be considered here. Um, and it's going to take some labor. They, they see those as two different audiences. And yes. there's some people, I think the book, the Christian book publishers want to have an academic type of publication world and they want to have a layman's here's the way it is world and so but well, wait, hang on. don't you think that that's essentially what we have going on even with like the younger generation when i say younger you know i'm right on the right on the cusp of millennial right i was born in 1981 and i think that millennial is like born sometime in the 80s but i'm almost outside of that millennial title but millennials as a whole i think generally now they're moving we're moving away from reading, right? We want more video clips or snippets, audio clips and snippets. You know, if we're going to read something, we want to tweet under 160 characters, those kind of things. And I think that 
the biblical. No one's counting. Okay. The the <laughs> thank you. The the biblical industrial complex is basically saying, okay, we see the need for this. Let's let's give people what they want, right? And so this is the kind of thing that we're starting to see served up. But here here and here's here's a danger. You get the like the Hebrew word picture people. They they inject it as it comes out as a genre of this is the way it is. It yeah, doesn't come the, it doesn't come out in the scholarly. And so you have people who are consuming that this is the way it is genre of, of writing, and they just eat it up and they think this is scholarship. They misidentify that line between um, just general edification, no footnotes, versus in-depth Bible study. There's disputes, there's theological things, and there's difficult questions that are being, uh, you know, uh, addressed. Or discussed, and so, but I, I guess I wonder, you know, because we heard from the last email was excessively. Mark interpreted that as maybe he meant overly, and he he says be sure to be excessive love, excessively loving, and to yes. be at at the best. And he quotes scripture. He says, you know, at best in, in your in your power, you know, that's in you. Be uh, do your best to be in shalom with people. And I I get that. I agree. I would just wonder, is it, Caleb, is it your job and my job to draw that line? Or do we, are we supposed to just do what we do and then the listeners have to, each listener has to come away going, were they too scholarly? And if so, where where is that line for that person? You know, some people might listen to the same Rob and Caleb episode. Some people are going to go, that was way too scholarly, way too scholarly. Other people are going to say, wow, I really liked that. I wish they would have gone in more detail. So in other words... Whose job is it to draw the line between just a scholarly enough? It's like all of a sudden it's like Goldilocks. It's like, okay, this is not scholarly enough. This one's too scholarly, but this one, oh, is just right, you know. Okay, so I gotta I gotta share this. The chat room is <laughs> cracking me up. The millennial uh, Mike says, Mike here at Tor, he's on the other side of the wall, by the way. Uh, Mike <laughs> says the millennial generation is the generation of children born between 1982 and 2002, according to Wikipedia. I say, what am I then? He says, "Old." <laughs> you're a millennial plus one. Yeah, you're, you're exactly. A, you're just outside. You're outside the group. Uh, okay, so my my whole in. my whole point with the whole scholarly scholarly thing is this: I think that what we're starting, I think one of the reasons whether or not, if you're listening to this and whether or not you're part of the Torah movement or not, maybe you're against the Torah movement, maybe you think it's uh, heresy, whatever. But I think one of the reasons that we're seeing people flow out of the church. And it's starting to become more and more numbers, right? At first, it was just a little trickle out of the church, but now it's starting to really, we're starting to see a steady stream of people out of the church coming into Hebrew roots, Messianic, Torah movement, whatever. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why is because I feel like people are saying, we want more of the Bible. We want the deeper, we want to see deeper things and not deeper things like Hebrew word pictures or, or uh, you know, uh, the Aleph Tav teaching or thing, you know, th that's all fluff. But what they want is they want the rock hard, true scholarly, you know, what does this actually mean? What are the debates around it? Let's, let's really get into the weeds on these things and see, you know, right. see what's going on. Because they need it for their life. Exactly. Need, it's like they're recognizing, God's people are recognizing, wow, the world is increasingly crazy. You know, I need to know where the rock is. I need to know because I I don't want to spend any more time building on sand. I see people building on sand over and over again. I don't want to do that. I want to build on rock. Where's the rock? And so That's, Miguel in the uh, in the chat room and the, and thank you for bringing it up. Uh, he says define scholar or scholarship. And we did this last week, right? The, I mean, according to Oxford, and this is exact. This is a great point by Miguel is because. What people, I think what people are trying to say by overly scholarly is actually maybe overly academic or overly nitpicky, I guess. I don't know. But according to the Oxford Dictionary, Dictionary, academic study or achievement, learning of a high level. So, I mean, when we say learning of a high level, I think that most believers in the Messiah Yeshua, whether or not they're in the church or not, I mean, it doesn't matter. People who are uh, basing their life on a faith, they want to be overly, uh, you know, uh, they want to be, what is it? They want to have learning of a high level, which would be scholarship, right? And so I think that this is, it's a good point. 
that you know we need to try to define our terms as well. Okay, uh, this yeah, is one more point. One yeah, more thought on on the excessively scholarly over the overly scholarly. Maybe another way to interpret uh, uh, that to express what the sentiment is behind that is, I'm feeling alienated. The more I listen to this particular quote scholar, I'm feeling more and more alienated. Meaning, I'm feeling more and more like I don't understand God's word, like I thought I did, and therefore I don't know what I thought I knew, and therefore am I? What do I do? You know, this is and you a, know what this There's is a, a faith crisis there that I, that I had to you know I went through a faith crisis. That's why I had to. It's like I got it. I, there's no way for me to move forward unless I learn the original languages because this guy's telling me this, this guy's telling me this, this guy's telling me this, and I have no. All I have is sand. All I have is sand to build on. So See, but, my but, task is I need to find rock. Here's the thing, though, is that I think that that what a lot of this comes from, and this happens to me quite often, is a fear of being looked at as stupid or unlearned. You know, I got friends right now who are coming out. They'd, they've already come out of the church. They're now uh, in uh, a, a Torah community. But the Torah community that they're in is uh, very, very surface level. Like, uh, and I don't want to name any names at all, but very surface level. And so they want more, but the idea of looking at like a Torah resource, you know, like some of the stuff that we have at Torah resource or, uh, you know, going to a congregation like Beit Hillel, the congregation that I attend where my father teaches to them, that is, uh, that's, they're afraid that they're going to be seen as way behind, not, uh, you know, seen as stupid essentially. No, you don't understand this. And so there's this yeah. want to, and I think for me, the point of the Robin Caleb show is to attempt to try to hit people on all levels. So we got people in the chat room who have been in this movement for 20 plus years who know the terms that we're using. But at the same time, we also want to be able to speak to, you know, it was interesting when we had Dr. Brant Petrie on there, you know, we had over 3000 views almost instantly. Those were not Hebrew roots and Messianic people. Those were Roman Catholics. And we got emails from a lot of Roman Catholics saying that was an unbelievable, unbelievably good interview. I just had, as, on a footnote of that, I just had a gal tell me last Shabbat, I finally watched, I got around to watching the Dr. Brant Petrie, and it was awesome, you know? <laughs> and, and it was, like, so cool. It was, like, I'd, so much time had gone by, I wasn't even thinking, you know what I mean? You kind of forget about it. And it's, like, so they're still echoing out there. Caleb, one other thought here. How much is this is, like, you and I are... We're cooks, right? And we just every week we cook up our meal and we say, "Here's what we're here's what's on the menu today." And people come up, and they'll they sample it, you know. And they'll say, "Oh, you know, the vegetables are a little overcooked," or "I don't like broccoli, so I'm not going to eat the broccoli." Or someone says, "You know, I just don't even like your choice of cuisine this week." You know, how much of it is on us? How much is it just like you know what? This is we cook what we cook. I what I would hate, you know, what I would hate to hear. We're is just talking, man. There's someone, only thirty six yeah, people what listening. I, what I would, what I would hate to happen, and I hope that it doesn't happen. And I would like to know if it did. Is if someone listened, they they honestly put their thoughts together in a question. They emailed it to us, and then they 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 left after we talked about it. That they left feeling ignored, misunderstood, ridiculed. Or or alienated because we just instantly went over their head. Well, I, I would that would be a horror if any of those things happen. I hope that we have enough sense uh, that we would not uh, knowingly do that. Well, when, we're, but we're, when we're, people are when people come saying, "Look, you moron!" Da 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 da. It puts us in a little more. You know, yeah, I'm going to put a little extra um, salt on. I'm going to put a little bit of you know extra seasoning on our response here. You know. <laughs> And so I think we might do that a little bit too. So anyway, I, I, the, the the number the number of minutes that people think we're going is going up in the uh, in the chat room, <laughs> and I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, honestly, we uh, I think that we've uh, Rob and I we constantly have to check ourselves. We're just talking, you know. We get together and we talk on this show, and I think that's one one thing that some of the people are attracted to. Um, and drink water out of Jewish yes. Dot com mugs. But but I think that we have to constantly keep, you know, and I think our format has changed substantially even in the past couple months without even realizing that we were doing that. Um, and it's because we're trying to uh, we're trying to be sensitive to 
uh, different things. No, we're going. We we have gluten free options. Yes, exactly. Okay, let me get back to our original show notes so that I can see what's going on here. Um, and while I do that, don't is there forget... a scholarship free option? <laughs> right. Okay. I was like. A scholarship-free cookie, please. Okay, so th- we have a lot. Actually, now that now that we've taken up uh, what <laughs> thirty-one minutes with our intro text. Okay, we've got what? Let me see. Yeah, 20, we can. This will this will carry over to next next uh, week. Anyway, here we go. This from a username. This is on YouTube. Now I'm going to read this whole interaction, and this might be boring for people, but I want to give I I want to give credit where credit's due in terms of this interaction. Because uh, the the end phrase this person gives really shows, I think, where the person is coming from. And let me get the... Oops, sorry. Okay, here we go. Uh, this from the username Torah Times. And I think... I'm not positive, but I think I know where this uh, where Torah Times comes from. And I... Uh, so we had posted a video on... Uh, it's called Should the Book of Hebrews Be in Our Bibles? I think we were actually talking about Monte Judah at this point in time. Monte Judah... Uh, says that the book of Hebrews should not be in our Bibles. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit, uh, not necessarily Monte Judah, but uh, people who are going towards the idea that, that the book of Hebrews shouldn't be in our, our Bibles. So this person says, how's about the misquotation of Psalm 40 by Hebrews 10.5? The word body isn't in the Septuagint or the Hebrew. The author simply substituted sacrifice for obedience. Now, this is the kind of comment where Someone who's reading this on our YouTube page might say, oh, wow, okay, but that's it's not exactly true, right? It's a little bit of a misleading, uh, misleading comment in general. So I wrote back and I said, only some of the Septuagint have but ears you have prepared for me. That is the LXX, the, the, uh, uh, the LXXGA, and the LXXLA. But others have, but a body you have prepared for me. For instance, the Septuagint A, S, and B. Alexandrina is a very early Septuagint. Granted, it's after the apostolic scriptures were written. But still, it's one of the earliest that we have, right? Um, So anyway, this person writes back and says, Those late versions of the Septuagint, which have body, have a literary dependency on Hebrews. In other words, what this person is trying to say is that these Septuagint, uh, these people were in- interpreting the Septuagint with the book of Hebrews in mind. For those who don't know what the Septuagint is, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament or the Tanakh, as we like to pref- uh, uh, call it. Um, so we're talking about now the Greek translation of a Hebrew text. Okay. And Can he, how do you prove that? How does he prove literary dependency? Let's let's talk about what he means. Literary dependency is this: is if I if I start a speech today in in 2017, four score and seven years ago, right? Our forefathers or something like that. People would say, "Oh, he's he's citing Abe Lincoln's Gettysburg Address," right? That I'm that I'm uh, literarily dependent upon it. So in other words, I modified and composed my speech according to, to that to, to draw on a, a literary source that was prior. And so what what this person is suggesting is that the copies that we have of the Psalms in Greek that say a body, um, he says because they are coming, they were written after. Although I. Admittedly, I didn't do my homework on all the textual witnesses here. So I, I um, but he's saying that what they did is they're copying the Psalms, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is where they get to that line, and they're like, oh, this is where Hebrews has it. So they go to Hebrews and they look up what Hebrews has, and then they copy that, and then they go back to copying the Psalms again. So he, that's what he says. He says they are literarily dependent. That's what he means by literary dependence. But I, how, how can you prove that? It's just as possible that uh, there's this strain of, of reading of the Psalms that both Hebrews and these copiers of the Septuagint drew from. It's a, they have a common source. It's not they're both literary dependent on a prior source. So uh, okay, so so actually we kind of get so into he this. would have to he would have to prove that point. We I'm not we we can't accept his uh, just simply accept his presupposition there. 
Okay, so he says, uh, once again, the, those late versions of the Septuagint, which have body, have a literary dependency on Hebrews. The point of Psalm 40 is that obedience is better than sacrifice. So making it speak of another sacrifice misses the context. Now, I wrote back, and what I did was I went to my father's commentary on the book of Hebrews, Tim Hegg's commentary on the book of Hebrews, which, pardon me, which he wrote in 2016. And this is uh, the quote that, uh, that I gave to him. This is my father speaking on uh, this passage. Yet the fact that three of the primary Septuagint manuscripts containing Psalms 40 have body rather than ears carries weight. Granted, this is often explained as the work of scribes seeking to bring the manuscripts in line with the Hebrews quotation. What but, we just described. Which, yeah. yeah, which we just, just described. But what wonder, one wonders if this really fits the data. It seems unlikely that all three of the major Septuagint manuscripts would have consistently been changed to support the reading in our Hebrews text. Unfortunately, Psalm 47 does not appear in any of the extant Dead Sea Scroll manuscripts, which contains Psalms. So we have no pre-Masoretic manuscripts evidence to consult. We are left then with the possibility that the major manuscripts of the Septuagint are expressing an original Hebrew text, which for one reason or another was changed or corrupted. Or as some commentators believe, the Septuagint was trying to make the best of an obscure Hebrew idiom, which the translators did not understand. Okay, so this is what I write, and the person then writes back and says, The Septuagint can, carry, can only carry weight against Hebrew text with a compelling reason, like Qumran text, Samaritan Pentateuch, or other old versions, or small error like a mater letter or single consonant difference from the MT, the Masoretic text. The scholarly consensus is to include the old Greek in Bible works and other tools and not the versions you cite. And they give a reference to the Blue Letter Bible. Texts have been consistently changed to back up a doctrinal assumption. Uh, uh, assumption That is, Mark 7.19, I want to stop right here. So this actually is not exactly true. The idea that, the, that translators changed Mark 7.19, for those who are unaware of what um, 7, 19, uh, Mark 7.19 is, this is the, the passage that has been uh, translated two different ways. That is, thus uh, declaring all foods clean. And the other way that it has been translated is thus purging all foods. This person says that they changed the text. I don't know if they... No, that's... Well, there, there's a... Whether it's uh, Omega Nu or Omicron Nu, Cathari Zone, that, that participle there, is could be a change, but we don't know... We, we can't uh, um, definitely ascribe motive. Could, was it a mistake? Was a guy... Was it being dictated and he copied it? Did he modify it? I mean, uh, the point the point that's is different than the ones in Acts, for example, that we've looked at, where they where a scribe obviously added something. I mean, we do have examples of that. We have obvious examples where later scribes inserted things, but that's not what's happening in Mark. Mark seven. seven, yeah, and, and I'll give a I'll give a pass on this because this person then goes on to say also the reading under in Romans two twelve. Also, faith in Christ texts were changed from faith of in the KJV. Manuscripts were changed in Acts fifteen. No, and faith Act of, faith in. No, wait a minute. Those are not changed manuscripts. Those are translation differences. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that there's a Greek difference. The I question think, is, I think with this person where what, it says like pistis Yesu, where where you have Jesus or Yeshua in the genitive, so they say, well, is this an a subjective genitive or an objective genitive. And some translators go one way, some translators go another way. And then, but that's not it. They're not changing the, the Greek text. They're, the changes are happening at the, in the secondary level in English. So um, this guy's, I, I like how he's thinking. I, I like his general willingness to talk about these things. But some of the, uh, what we need, if he's going to dive into this pool, a, a little bit of more precision is going to be required to 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 get something out of it. I think. In okay, my view. so he says uh, manuscripts were changed in Acts fifteen, uh, in Acts fifteen and Acts fifteen uh, twenty four and twenty one twenty five. That, that's true. That we, is true. We had a whole show on that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he goes on. The weighty point I made is that the context of Psalm forty precludes the word body being the sacrifice of Messiah, which is exactly what the author of Hebrews wants it to be. That obedience is better than sacrifice also applies to Messiah's offerings, because many confess it in vain, thinking they can now go out and sin. 
The author of Hebrews has argued, in effect, that only Levitical sacrifices are in vain without repentance, making Messiah an exception. An exception. Here's the point. Here's his last paragraph. Now listen to this, and this is where it all comes together. This is where his argument all comes together. Actually... The author of the book does not think the Levitical offerings were efficacious for any sin, contrary to Leviticus 4 through 6. Oh. So basically this person is saying, well, the, the writer of the Hebrews doesn't realize that, uh, that uh, the sacrifice of animals did affect sin according to Leviticus 4 through 6. Well, if this is the argument, for, you, you have multiple things going on here. First of all, then why did we need Yeshua to come and die on the cross? And this is the writer, you know, the, the writer to the Hebrews specifically says this. Second of all, this person is approaching the text of Hebrews, I think, with a, a, pre, a preconceived notion that it could not be Scripture. We as humans will always fail when it comes to trying to understand scripture perfectly. If you're going to throw out scripture because of your own understanding, then just throw it all out now. Because we as humans are not, we're morons compared to the wisdom of, of the scripture and the wisdom of the Lord. If you think that just because you, I can, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, if you think if you think that just because you find what you think is a seeming contradiction or something that seemingly doesn't work, then guess what? You're going to throw out a lot of scripture as we grow and as we mature. And a, a perfect example of this would be trying to line up the uh, the uh, the gospels with the uh, in the passion chronology, right? Now, I think that there is a good way to to line it all up. Obviously, our, our uh, interview with Dr. Petrie, I think, shows that there is a, a very good way to, within the language to understand that all four gospels are talking about the exact same thing. But this is a newer revelation in scholarship, right? This is 20, 20th century revelation from scholars of what the text is actually saying. Before that, scholarship for year, you know, all the way back into the third century, we're debating how these these uh, texts lined up. So if if it would have been to people's own understanding instead of the coming to the text with the understanding that the that this is the word of God and it is true and right, then the Gospels would have been thrown out. And this is the point of the 66-book canon. We come to the, we, we believe that God has revealed himself in the canon. And if we, if we can't rest our, our understanding on the foundation of the Word of God, then we don't have a foundation. And so when I approach the text in Hebrews, I approach the text, the text with the understanding this is inspired by God, and therefore, if I don't understand something, I need to dig deeper. And this is where scholarship comes in, being able to look at other scholars who have gone before us and, and reading what they have said and trying to understand how the text would work out, instead of saying, this must not be Scripture. Okay, can we can we go back? I, I, yes. There were two takeaways that I heard, and I want, I, I want to bounce them back to you, Caleb, to see if I heard them right. Okay from this email. Now, of course, he made more than these points, but the two that, I, that I'm trying to, to anchor down, just to tie down to see if I want to respond. Um, the first one pertains to, um, to now I'm going to get these backwards probably, but, but uh, that there's a conflict between the epistle to Hebrews and Levitical statements where it says their sins will be forgiven. Correct. Okay, so that uh, that's one. And uh, the other is that... Um, oh, darn it, what was the other one? Oh, that back to the Psalm 40, that um, if, if he's saying that if body you have prepared for me is original to Psalm 40, that too would conflict with the very context of Psalm 40. Is that what he said? Am I hearing that correctly? Uh, yes. And because, be yeah, go ahead. Okay. So here's the other thing. Um, and I'm going to bring this up. Let me see here if I can find well, in Hebrews, in Hebrews, it says it's impossible. I looked at Hebrews ten four. It is impossible for the blood of bulls, bulls and goats to take away sin. That's true. Okay, That's so, true. If, so if, it, if, it, if it, I if 
what it, I agree with that. The Torah never says that the blood of bulls and goats is going to remove your sin. Yeah, but he says it will. It's God who for God forgives sin. But if this God person... doesn't forgive your sin, you could offer all the you could offer all the blood you want. That doesn't mean you're forgiven. Okay, so let's actually go to the text here. Right? So people, yeah, so, yes, exactly. But th- that's not what this person's saying. This person okay. seems to be saying that actually, and listen to this again. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but let's let's read it again. Actually, the author of the book does not think the Levitical offerings were efficacious for any sin contrary to Leviticus 4 through 6. So it sounds like this person is saying that Leviticus 4 through 6 says that uh, sacrifices will deal with sin. Let's well, go. you have sin offering, yeah. yeah. Let's go now to uh, the actual text. Well, I'm we, gonna. We can't I, read all of <laughs> all of that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to, to Psalm 40. I'm sorry. Let's go. Oh, to Psalm, I, I thought let's, we were. Let's go to Psalm 40. Okay. And uh, I'm going to switch this over for people watching. I'm going to switch this over to my Accordance Bible software. Um, oh, sweet. Here you go. So now, and I have the Hebrew on this side here. Um, and actually, it's not Psalm 47 in the English. It's Psalm 46 in the English. The sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. I'm sorry. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear. And this is the text. This is the, this right here is what we're saying, what we're seeing. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Okay, but the point is, is that this person, so the word that we're looking at right here, ear, atznaim, is actually ear in the Hebrew, okay? But in the Septuagint, in some of the Septuagint's translations, we see that it's actually body instead. What's interesting is that um, in the Hebrew, you have dug or you have pierced is actually what the Hebrew is. So, but you have given me an open, or you have pierced uh, uh, my ear, or you've you've uh, dug into my ear. Well, th- the point is, is that it seems to me that yes, this is exactly what uh, if if the if one of the original uh, Hebrew manuscripts would have said body, and this was the, what the Septuagint translated, this actually would make perfect s- sense within the text. And what this person is trying to say is that no, that's not what's going on. Well, if if the Lord hasn't, uh, in sacrifices and offerings, you have not delighted, and in burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required, what does he require then? I think this is exactly... Because you could say, well, right, couldn't you say, by the same token, you could say that this verse is against the Torah? Yes. That's my, that is my well, point. wait a minute. The thank, Torah, thank you for, yes. The Torah commands, Zevach, it, it's Zevach umincha lo chafatzta. You have not desired uh, Zevach, which is a uh, Leviticus in that passage he's talking about, the Zevachim, Zevach Shelemim, or the, or the uh, what they call the fellowship or the peace offerings, the Mincha, right, the, the meal offerings. It says, Ola v'chata'a lo sha'alta. You have not asked for a burn offering or a sin offering. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, uh, it's required. Those things are required of someone who has sinned. But the the Epistle of Hebrews says, "Look, it, that's that's not what takes away sin. It's not it, it it it." He says those in in Hebrews ten, by every they don't remove sin. Ultimately, they do not remove sin because every year you're going to have another day of atonement, and it's required. If you have a, a standing temple or a mishkan with a high priest. It's required that the the high priest first uh, repents of his own sin and the sin of his house, right? There, there's never gonna, there was never a case where the high priest of Levitical or the sons of Aaron on a on a Yom Kippur went in and said, "Oh well, you know what? I don't have any sins to uh, to repent for. Neither, do, you know, but you know, my house I do, so I'll I'll do that for that." No, the Torah says he will, re- you know, he's got to offer for his own sin. Mm. It's the echoing time and time again that it will be forgiven. And then you have the semantic range of the nifal, nislach, nislachlo, I think it is, and it will be forgiven him. Well, what does it mean, forgive? Does it mean it's taken away? Is it taken away? Or is it, is it, is God saying, look, you, you, you've been obedient and, and I'm going to bless you for another year, you know, back in the, in the system of the Mishkan. Um, I'm going to reckon this as obedience. Doesn't mean your your sin nature is has been handled, and and that's a big misreading of Hebrews if that's what they're trying to do, and they want to cut it out of the scriptures. The point is, Yeshua is without sin, and 
being without sin, is heir to eternal life. Not only that, authority in heaven, all authority in the heavens and on earth. And he is the way, the truth, and life. He is the resurrection and the life. And if if you have the spirit of Messiah in you, you are his. You belong to him. You are part of his heavenly tabernacle, if you will. And you are... uh, you are also without sin in as much as you are, as that's Yeshua's life in you. And while we're in this, live this life in the flesh, we still have the old man. And yes, we still have to deal with sin. But any part of me that sins is not the eternal part of me. You know, that part is going to die. I'm going to be corrected. I'm going to be instructed. I'm going to be um, disciplined, right? All the things that it says our Heavenly Father will do, also in the book of Hebrews. Right. If I'm not being disciplined, if I'm not being corrected, if I'm not being taught and instructed by the Heavenly Father, then I'm like a child that has no parent, it says. And he quotes the Proverbs there. So it it sounds to me that this person is a little too ready to pit uh, Epistle Hebrews against the Torah. And then he's finding an excuse here with this little textual issue with Psalm 40 to try to uh, support his larger claim. For, and, uh, for, to me, it doesn't happen. For me, I, I want to take what you just said and, and maybe uh, simplify just a little bit. The way that I would put this is that unless a person com- it comes to God through the new covenant, and what is the new covenant? The new covenant is faith in the Messiah and uh, and and the blood, his atoning blood for oh, believers. What un- Unless a person comes to the Father through the new covenant, that is through the blood of the Messiah, you can sacrifice as many bulls and goats as you want. It's not going to make a bit of difference. And this is the writer of the Hebrews point. And I think this is also the writer of Psalm 40's point, right? God hasn't, you know, God doesn't require bulls and goats. In other words, you're not going to do anything to gain your salvation by making these sacrifices. This is not going to atone for your, for your, your sin. What atones for your sin is the blood of the Messiah Yeshua. And if you're not, if you're not covered by that, you can't come to me. Now, yeah, and, and the largest quote, the largest extensive quote of Tanakh in the apostolic writings in the New Testament is Hebrews 8, yeah. citation of Jeremiah 31. That's the biggest continual quote from Tanakh. It's, the, it's in the center of the letter, and it's the, the core... Uh, scripture that's being unpacked. And, and the point is, he says, I will remember their sins no more. Mm -hmm. So it says, I, there, it says there, uh, I will forgive their iniquity, their sin. I will remember no more. And it says, I will write my Torah on their heart, right? That that's the core piece Uh, you know, the, the epistle of Hebrews not only belongs in the apostolic writings, but it needs to be studied in great detail. Uh, Yeah. And appreciated for, for its core points. I would not disagree with this person if the uh, on, on points that Hebrews has been uh, a site of of disputes that have been anti-Torah. I understand the problem with that. I understand there's a problem of uh, in the interpretive history of the Epistle of Hebrews misinterpretation. But that's, fa- though. But that's yeah, but that's not the fault of the Epistle of Hebrews or the author of the Hebrews. That's that's. That's that's the our fault as interpreters, and I would just take this moment to plug uh, Torah Resources published Tim Higgs two volume oh, it's commentary, uh, which um, is a wonderful resource, wonderful wonderful resource. I, I know I'm biased. I'm biased because I work for the company and because it's my dad who wrote it. But at the same time, I, I have really gained a lot from uh, being able to open that uh, up that commentary, uh, because honestly, Hebrews does have a lot of things that we kind of. Uh, you know, at first glance, we kind of scratch our head and go, hmm, you know, uh, how, how does this work out? Um, and really looking at some of the more deep uh, scholarly yeah. aspects of what's going on and some of the some of the conversations that have happened in the scholarly uh, realm really do help uh, kind of iron some of these things out. He, one more point on Hebrews. It go says Yeshua, Yeshua, the Messiah, the same yesterday, today and forever. OK, so. That's eternal life. If you are part of the Brit Chadashah, you have eternal life, right? Yes. And and you cannot have eternal life, and uh, and repeatedly sin. 
meaning to just just to to be in a a sinful lifestyle. You can't, those do not go together. And so in your in your life, that's why your heavenly Father in the the work of the Ruach Hakodesh hmm. is to help you grow in discernment. So you discern the difference between what is life, what is holy, what is purity, what is true shalom, what is joy, what is what does it mean to truly love and to be loved according to the Shema and the love your neighbor. You grow in discernment of that and you grow uh, and you increasingly learn to discern the things that don't belong and to turn uh, turn from evil, turn away from those things that that have no part in in the kingdom. And, and that's our schooling. And that's back to the scholar. That's where you can't be a disciple of Yeshua and not grow in, in some kind of scholarship, in some kind of discernment where you're going to start saying, you know, this means something and, and, and this means something else and this means something else. And, and, um, it's this way and not that way, right? This is good according to the word of God. And that is bad according to the word of God, right? I mean, you grow, and that's a kind, that's a trajectory of scholarship. That's a so, discipleship. Remember, disciple means learner. And right? back, yeah, back to, to 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And this has been a, a good conversation. I, I like kind of digging into these kind of things. So we actually do have two more comments. Very, very good comments. Are from, we at 52 minutes? Oh, we're way over. So we're actually at an hour. I'm going to punt these to next uh, next week. Um, so we have a, a comment from Ryan. And last week we talked about who is Israel, right? And, and we kind of got into some of the deeper issues of who Israel is and, and uh, some of the problems that we see within uh, different understandings within the church of who Israel is. And when I say the church, I'm talking about a wider multi-denominational uh, uh, idea of, of the church. Um, and so we got a we got a uh, email from Ryan. I'll give you a taste of what's going to go on uh, next week. We got an email from Ryan on show 180 uh, talking about um, the idea of Calvinism versus Arminianism and the understanding that uh, when when it's talking about election, it's actually talking about Israel as a whole, as opposed to individual people. This is a great comment and something that we're going to talk about. And then Miguel, who's actually in the chat room, and I was, uh, you know, I, I would love for him to be in the chat room next week so that uh, we we can kind of uh, highlight this comment. This is an excellent, excellent comment that uh, he left on our, on our uh, YouTube uh, video from last week. <clears throat> and I think... The more he uh, defines the way that he's seeing things, and once again, he's talking Calvinism versus Arminianism and the election of Israel. <clears throat> so both these comments, pardon me, both these comments kind of go hand in hand. Miguel actually makes some really good points here, and I'm I think I'm starting to understand his point better in terms of the way that he's he's attempting to define Israel, which I think is really one of the uh, things that maybe I'm... I'm misunderstanding how certain people, and I think this is one of the things that we um, in the Torah movement maybe we're getting uh, sidetracked on. You know, Zach Bauer has uh, recently put out something on uh, Two House being, I forget exactly how he worded it. I'm going to give you seven absolute proofs that uh, that Two House is, is biblical. Well, uh, what I'm starting to realize is that this new up-and-coming my generation up and coming within the Torah movement is uh, we have different ideas of how we're defining two house and what that might mean. And this comes down to how we define Israel, right? Um, and so I think that there's this redefinition happening within the Hebrew roots movement of who Israel is. And with that being the case, uh, some of the ways that it's been defined in the past by people like Bacha Wooten and others is we have to almost define what piece of two house we're actually talking about. So anyway, we're going to look at all these things next week. And uh, yeah, and then we, let's see here. I think that, uh, is it two weeks from now you're going to be in Israel? Are you going to be in Israel in two weeks, Rob? Mm -hmm. Don't say it, it scares me. <laughs> so uh, Rob has claimed that he's going to attempt, uh, he's going to attempt to do a show from Israel the second week. I'm trying to get an interview locked in for while Rob's gone um, with Doc. Well, I won't even say who, but um, we'll see. We'll see if we can get an interview for, for that week. If not, we'll probably have my father or somebody on to answer questions. 
Um, and P, uh, PJ in the chat room says, Rob said you did a whole show on Axe. What number was that? Um, oh, uh, uh, just specifically, it was we addressed, I, I think we addressed the, the scribal editions in Acts 15 and Acts 21. PJ, it I'll, a, I'll look for it. Was it in the I'll, last couple of months. Yeah, I'll look for it and I'll, I'll tweet you on that. Okay, um, so don't forget, when you're not listening to the show, please do several things. Either think about uh, going to our radio hotline at 253-465-3205, leaving us a message. I'll give it to you again a little slower, 253 465 3205. Also, send us emails. We love getting emails from you. Seahag at torresource.com. That's seahag at torresource.com. We certainly uh, enjoy chatting with uh, with each other and, and having y'all listen. Uh, so please be a part of the conversation with us. And until next time, we hope that this conversation has done one thing, and that is glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. <laughs>